Can I tell you what I think is wrong? Can I tell you what I think it is? Yeah. Not wearing socks. Mm. I'm not wearing socks either. Well, you're going to be alone in that in just a second here because oh, I'm putting man. my meowy best on right now. I'm I know. only wearing one. Yeah, once we're about an hour and 10 minutes into this, my, my toes are going to be really cold. Hmm. Call me Anthony Kiedis. You can borrow one of mine if you want. Sweet. That's like a cock sock joke. Socks on cocks. Yeah. 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 That's what we almost did for our live show, episode 150. We thought it'd be oh, a real man. power play to all go up on the stage and just have be naked except for socks on. I just couldn't get my uh, mohawk in time, so. Thank, <laughs> yeah, thank thank God for the pandemic. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's just been spending every day in a sock since then. <laughs> Well, welcome okay, to a Jeff, perfectly you... acceptable podcast. It's 203. Two. Oh, Maybe. 203? Maybe it's 202. Two. Cincinnati? Three. Three. I'll get the phone out. Jenga, you keep holding those books up. <laughs> I see our guys aren't doing this three, three joke or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> <To a shrink. laughs> oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I love when Roman is frustrated at jokes that he's not part of. It's an ongoing thing. I'm a fan of it. I know the listeners are a fan of the general Roman contempt tone that I've been getting all goddamn day from you. Um, I just Googled it. 203 is Connecticut. Okay. And it is episode 203. Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast. Episode 203 recently confirmed by Connecticut. This episode of the perfectly acceptable podcast brought to you by Connecticut. I hardly know a kid. <laughs> you have a lot of kids. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about, a, oh God, oh, everything's shit. Everything is shit. We, get, we own a comic shop, all of us, everyone. You do too. We all do. It's a collective. It's a co-op. It's a com, co-op. Co-omic shop. Thank you. There was something there. Uh, and we're the four people who are the face of it at this moment. I'm Jeff. I'm Django. I'm Colette. I'm Roman. And I'm Roman. That's those people, and I'm John Bon Oliver signing out. Um, this listen, bye, John. I'm, I'm really loving this moment because I've got some books that I'm going to tell everyone what, what we're reading. But there's a number of books that I didn't read this week that we're going to talk about, and I don't have them here. So in, to make sure I remember them, Django's been holding them up this whole time. <laughs> my arms hurt. My build hurts. <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about a real pig slop mess of books: Rorschach number two by Tom King. Ice Cream Man, number 21. A Dark Interlude, number one. Ooh. Barbalian, Red Planet, number one. Dark Knights, Death Metal, number five. Bash Reeves, number one. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, number one. Sea of Sorrow, number one. Marvel's Indigenous Voices, number one. And then we're going to wash it all down with a glass of Ten of Swords, don't call it an anthology. Chapters <laughs> 17, 18, and 19. X-Force 14, <laughs> Hellions number six, and Cable number six. Um, a number of those things are going to end up in Django's Uber Underground Power Hour. Super <laughs> slicked out Uber under Indie Underground and Uber Hour. 
Internet. So many. I might invite you guys to join the party. Hey, do you guys just want to like... Yep. <laughs> Ribbit? I was going to say, do you guys want to throw it all out and just start with emails right now? But then I decided, nah, that sucks. Let's start with Rorschach number two, which also sucked. <laughs> oh, uh, Tom King, Jorge Fornes, and Dave Stewart. Talk about one of the worst first pages in a fucking comic I've ever read, right? What? Uh, was it the height? Was it the number of words on there for you, Jeff? Do you just hate rainy seasons? Rainy scenes that are beautiful? I hate fucking oh, I a bunch of narration between several people that like I don't know who is who because it's all dumb boxes and it's been a month since I read the comic and I don't know who anyone is. I'm, don't make, no, I'm just kidding. It was a great fucking issue. Great. <laughs> Liked it way, way, way more than the first issue. Um, I did start it and I was like, God damn it. I don't remember... <laughs> any of this shit and this is a dense text thing about going from somewhere to somewhere and there's a sound i don't remember i didn't really learn who anybody was in the first issue yep. um and it took like two-thirds way through page two and i was like well this is well done and yes. that is just continues throughout the whole thing that was a real good issue of a comic yeah i thought i think it takes a, a an amount of skill to throw characters that you don't remember into an issue and have it not matter and have you caught up enough pretty, pretty much right off the bat. Yeah. I read number one a week ago. Nice. And uh, after the last podcast, I got (laughs) off and I went and read number one. Um, Not that kind of getting off. Gross. Not off the call. Um, And uh, so the characters were fresher for me and this was like, it didn't take me any time at all, thankfully, to to pick up on who was talking. And it even, like, I didn't notice at first that, oh, I'm reading a back and forth conversation where it's not being spelled out who's talking, but I know who's talking right now, mm-hmm. it, which is really impressive to me, this, like, back and forth. And um, there's none of the, like, little symbols by the word bubbles <laughs> and stuff. And it was just, man, this is fucking solid. I, I think that it occurred to me while reading this, I was like, this would work really well reading it all together or not, not separated by a month between issues. Um, mm-hmm. Like maybe a week or I, I think it would just make a great graphic novel. Like the, there were just mo- several moments in here. I was like, this would be great. Just followed up immediately by, I had another, like that same thought about a different book I read this week as well. I feel I like the more we're going to get into this mystery though, the more it'll be nice to have time to kind of ponder over mm-hmm. the clues that we got in the last issue and and get to take or i mean that's a guess and projecting but i after this one i have more Ooh, i wonder where that's going to lead or what that's going to be a part of and i like that anticipation sometimes i like being forced to take my time to kind of contemplate what i read and not just moving on in a story especially with a mystery when there's so many little layered clues and things mixed in that's one of the things that I like about mysteries and, and especially when they come out slowly, like um, like that TV show that we liked, True Detective. Like the first season of that, I really enjoyed being forced to slow down and watch a little bit at a time. And the Watchmen show. And the Watchmen mm-hmm. show too. And I felt like this issue, I, I did, I was ready for more follow-up, but I thought that it stood alone really well. I think just, so too. Just like a snapshot of how this guy solves crimes or solves mysteries 
whether or not he actually comes to any meaningful conclusions in this issue. I thought that it was a really interesting method. Well, it seemed like some big discoveries were made and then I remembered, oh, it's just issue number two. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is just the beginning of the investigation. Um, Roman, what did me... you, what did you oh, think yeah. you were in there? Uh, I'm a, I love this issue. I mean, the, um, I love the way they told the story here, just, just in, in the, in the coloring. Mm -hmm. Cause pretty quickly we've got three, you know, three different time frames. the recent past right now when the detective, the Columbo coat looking dude, um, and then 30 years in the past. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing to indicate that except one's in burnt umber. The 30 years ago is in sepia tone, and then current time is whatever colors those are. And I just love the fact that they, they, they didn't hand you anything like, oh, 30 years ago, any symbols mm -hmm. or anything other than the coloring. And you didn't need it. Yeah, yeah. I do find myself, I, I do keep slipping in and out of the book a bit because of the styling of all the characters is so out of time. Yeah. Like the detective is so, looks so of the 70s or the early 90s and some of the other outfits and things. I, I keep having this, like, I start slipping into the timeline that I think that the look indicates that it is and I have to remind myself that it's a different time. It, the first issue that was my biggest gripe was it, with it was the whole two-thirds of the way through was when I finally realized it's supposed to be current right now i kept mm -hmm. when is this supposed to be oh i think it's the early 90s with the pager and blah blah, blah. and then i it, so that kind of keeps throwing me off but i also love the look of it i just wish there was just a little something grounding me more in the now timeline of it i liked the art and i think that the art and the stylization of this whole thing worked for me like even like, better than the first issue that's like the like like roman was talking about the coloring of it i do think like the stylistic choice of the ambiguity of the time there you know is you know that's almost like a writing choice whereas like the mm -hmm. art it's you know it, it seems to fit it but just like the wallpaper patterns the paneling itself mm -hmm. love that the justin pointed something out um the there's there's the when the detective points out the door latch mm -hmm. and then just a little bit later that door latch gets kicked in in the past mm -hmm. um it's a nice little kind of this and then that yeah and there, there are a few times in here where you get like uh set up and pay off pretty quickly that i think were really interesting like the um the room or the apartment 14b that he catches from the bad werewolf's helmet and he decides to go investigate that specific apartment based on the comic book that's mm -hmm. in the story. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, nice. Uh, I didn't realize that was the room that that dude lived in. That's cool. Oh, Sorry, Roman. Oh, I, I really like that too. The um, when the detective is looking at Myerson's the Citizen um, comic pages and that that Nazi werewolf, how it it it, it kind of foreshadows a couple little things we learn some couple pages later about. Mm -hmm. um, his lost, well, the woman he was obsessed with about her husband, boyfriend, mm -hmm. that becomes important a few pages after that. And it also seemed like a, kind of a meditation in setting you up to have to change your mind when you get new information, mm -hmm. um, which is a theme that I really like, especially, especially right now, just politically and with, with the way that the world is working lately. It's nice to see 
somebody sort of saying, okay, here's what happens. Well, okay, now we have new information. So here's, here's what probably actually happens. And just having that in there, um, I, I liked constantly being told, actually, that's not how it went as, as you read this book. Um, I did like the Ditko parallel, like, you know, that dude is obviously Ditko to the point where like when he grabs out that one page, when it's like a shrunken down page, it looks to me like a panel of the Daily Bugle, like from Spider-Man. Like it looks like that's J. Jonah Jameson, but particularly on the left side yep. of the page, yep. um, it looks especially like J. Jonah Jameson. It's like, it, it feels like they're, it's obviously the Ditko analogy, like the parent person is hmm. Ditko. But it even seems like down to the pages that they pull out looks like Ditko Spider-Man pages. Well, yeah, I think that the impetus behind that character, according to something or something, I heard or read somewhere that it's what if Rorschach was a fan of not Ayn Rand, who Ditko was into, right? But mm -hmm. this yeah. other um, kind of contentious woman philosopher interesting yeah it's just it's definitely yeah and i wonder tom king like if you look at strange adventures though like all of those issues have had these weird quotes from like wally wood and like mm -hmm. historical like it's a it's a weird thing that he peppers into his work in a weird way that you know i bet it's a little bit more nuanced than simply just that like rorschach was <laughs> yeah. ayn rand and i give it a 10 10 eh wow mm -hmm. i think it's one of the best self-contained issues while being part of a bigger thing. I, I think you could hand this to a mystery reader and they would they would feel like they got enough to understand why it's good. And I like it. I, I think that's a hard wow. thing to do. And play the way that they play with time and like the whole thing is just so well constructed. Yeah. It's, duck. it's so well constructed. Yes, I will also Oh the table's getting heavy. Oh gosh. Oh, God. God, he's getting better at doing it himself. <laughs> oh. Colette, what do you give it? It's like an ooey. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I really, really love this. I, yeah, I, I think that just, I don't know if it's just me that I kept getting. Maybe it's just the, the former costume designer in me that just keeps getting hung up on period looking at clothing. And But, uh, yeah, I, it's so good. It's just so... I, I love that 70s. I love the fact that the detective looks like Columbo, but yeah, you're right. It is, I didn't think about reading this issue, but as soon as you said it, it's like, yeah, you know, I do have to remind myself this is happening after the Watchmen TV show. So it's it, this it's year. Sideburns. <laughs> uh, I'll give it a nine. Good, good, good book. All <laughs> right, let's go to another Watchmen book of this week. Ice Cream what? Man 21. Oh, right. <laughs> I like, as we were talking about Rorschach, I read these like within you know, 45 minutes of each other. And I kept like <laughs> confusing scenes. I was like, ballsy to have done that scene where he breaks into the window, like in the first, oh wait, never mind. That was, that was Ice Cream Man. Like, um, just down to the coloring. But yeah, for whatever reason, uh, W. Maxwell Prince wanted to do a Watchmen issue. And Martin Marazzo was like, I'm game. And, I could knock that out of the park, I guess. And you know, it's just worth mentioning that these are like, I think two creators at the top of their game doing an almost unheard of thing in comics, which is releasing pretty much a monthly book where the art is phenomenal. The stories are all incredible for the most part, standalone 
they're just cranking them out. Like nothing seems to be suffering by keeping up with that time frame, which is kind of a stretch in comics. Like everyone does something unique with the medium. I, I just, I think that like 21 issues in that these guys are still pulling this off. I, I, that's really, really impressive to me that they're still yeah. making me surprised. Like I, I think that I can't think of like another creative team in a book that 21 issues in right now is this impressive to me. And they don't seem to like, nothing's getting bogged down. They don't have to go on several month hiatus between issues. Cause somebody got sick. Like just this, this issue blew me away from that it. regard. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this, this issue has a lot of really nice touches, like even beyond the Watchmen stuff, which it's, it is chock full of, really sexy homages to Watchmen, but there's also ice cream cones everywhere in the, in the design of the book and yeah. in the design of the logos and the sigils. Um, there the are references. Yeah. The cigarette there's, there's references to other issues of ice cream man all mm -hmm. over this, like the, yeah. um, the buddy Holly character yeah. is in, is, is in, in a scene there's a scene where he's walking up the fire escape and there's a family watching tonight on family autopsy what killed cousin fred and i'm pretty sure that's an exact quote from the tv the show TV episode. Episode. um and yeah it's it's just it's so well put together on top of being a really accurate homage to you know one, one of the books that but inspired all comics after it. but even like it would be one thing to just be an issue about the watchman but it's not it's also <clears throat> a take on just noir stories right like the dame walked in talking about smoking cigarettes and it was the dame at the end like it reminded me of return of bruce wayne number five four five yeah. um so it's really effective at that but then it's also in classic ice cream man fashion just a really interesting meditation on people's willingness to rely on vices and the lines that we all personally draw to justify the things that we do that we know aren't good for us and the way that we judge the things that other people do. So like yeah. him smoking cigarettes, ice cream being an, you know, an ice cream vice murder throughout all of this corporate stuff. And then I just love that that, and like, he doesn't, yeah, the, the sex with the wife and she's like, do you want to do this? He's like, no. And then like goes in this room and then the way that he realizes anyway, the, it was just like, it was a single issue that any one of those three things that it did, I think it would have been impressive for having done it. And it did all three of them at once. Yeah. Plus it's got the, the classic line. They don't let you smoke in these places talking about libraries. It's no wonder nobody reads. I, I was Love like, that. damn, <laughs> that is a good line. And the guy singing meat on two feet. That's fucking creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that like it tied like, the book, the symbol on the book is the same book that they had in the issue that actually got close into the origin about the ice cream man. Oh, is it? and it's a um, bunch of ice cream cones. Like yeah, you it's, take that fractal and turn it into ice cream cones. Yeah, you totally could. It's also, I think, largely based on uh, the telemetry uh, Aleister Crowley symbol, which is the his inverted six-point star. Um, which sure is like he wasn't basing his on ice cream ice cream cones. cones? Yeah, you're right. 
Um, but yeah, the same symbol, just because it's reminded me of the Aleister Crowley thing from when we talked about it from the episode. So Justin had like missed a handful of these issues and he's like, have they done anything new with like the ice cream man character? And I'm like, no. And then I started this issue and it's got that book symbol right at the beginning. And it's like talking to an ice cream man in a way that seems like it's actually talking about origins and stuff. I was like, holy shit, we're actually getting back to the part of this series that I want to know about the most. And the, the, yeah, the Watchmen stuff, just down to the, down to the body language and the colors and the, there's, there's a crazy detective map with strings coming off of it. That looks, it's the, the angle is just like the Watchmen map. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. <clears throat> when it get I, when he gets to the part with his, his string board and everything, and it forms the face and they even went so far as to, to quote the, the poem from, Ozymandias that actually made me laugh yeah. out loud because I didn't think they'd didn't dive that, that deep into it <laughs> looks on my works look on my works you mighty in despair uh, yeah, yeah. yeah Claude are you still ice cream manning you know never miss an issue yeah. um I still haven't read any of it oh really I yeah. totally believe that you were just straight up like yeah, I never miss an issue um no no I okay. there was a giant spider in the first issue and I <laughs> walked away from it and then everyone mm-hmm. talked about how anxiety inducing it was and i'm like well i am not healthy yeah. enough for that right now so I, I was worried there was going to be a, another giant spider in this issue because they started talking about the spider yeah, king right. I, I almost put down the book i was like no it's too good i gotta continue <laughs> uh i would give this a nine solid nine i'm also gonna go a nine on that one i'm packing double nines today you'd get a nine and a half if the cover had a had a stripe down the side that said ice cream man yeah <laughs> I'll give, I'll give it a nine and a half. Hey, well, Watchmen coloring is weird. There's a lot of purple and yellow in that book for, you know, for coming out at a time where purple is a weird color to have as a dominant color in a comic. My color's weird. My color's I think that this is, it's time for red, red planet. Red bomb? Barbalian, red, Bar-Balian. red mother or oh. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the red barbarian's red mother <laughs> when you said red planet earlier when you're listing comics i didn't even notice this was subtitled the end <laughs> eight so this is interesting because it's from the world of black hammer it's barbarian red planet the script is by tate Bromball, with the story by jeff lemire and tate Bromball. Careful, Jeff. Gabriel Hernandez Walta and colors by Jordi Belair. So this is the first Black Hammer story that we've had that isn't just written by Jeff Lemire, right? Careful, Jeff. (laughs) Uh, This basically follows Barb Alien, who is the Black Hammer analogy for John Johns, John Jones, the uh, Martian Manhunter. Uh, His name is Mark Marks. Are you sure it's not Mark Merckx? And it follows him through some 70s protest, saving a kid who falls off a flag. It kind of had like uh, Abby Hoffman kind of uh, protest vibes to me. And at the same time, you're getting a story of him on Mars in trouble um, and, and about to be punished. It, it's a pretty good setup. Uh, I didn't feel like a ton happened in this, but I thought it was a pretty solid book. Jeff Lemire found a found a mini Jeff Lemire to co-write comics with in Toronto. Wow. 
it's like yeah it's like an awkward indie looking dude at a diner in a red flannel like doing his best jeff lemire cosplay once the trade paperback comes out you can unbutton your top flannel button (laughs) 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 yes sir i thought i thought a lot more happened in this issue than expected because you know it starts off and he's back on mars and he's in trouble for consorting with earthlings we can say um and then we flash back to i assume it's a flashback to when he was posing as a cop on earth and i like the fact that this character is is gay but besides being an act a martian so he's not familiar with earth customs he's also not familiar with how to approach anything to do with love or sex mm-hmm. and he makes a pass at his very straight partner cop partner and that makes things i really like the tension and then, of course, they're, they, they're there to crowd control at a protest, and they looks like it's a LBGTQ, gay rights, whatever, protest. Mm-hmm. It's and back it's when they weren't acknowledging AIDS. So yeah. the government, for years, wouldn't acknowledge that AIDS was a crisis or even a thing. It was back when Reagan wouldn't say the word AIDS. And so there were big protests in, in the big cities trying to get... Um, okay attention for the AIDS epidemic and all the people that were being killed. Sorry, I only interrupted you. But this no, 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 that's issue, cool. Like, hit me hard in the feels. Wait, um, a, a president no. not not admitting that there's a disease? Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, Imagine that. that. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you, Colette, because that I puts a much better context. I even wondered at first when we see uh, this one activist up on the steps of this courthouse-looking building, whatever, I even wondered, he's got a bullhorn for a second, until we find out it's not. I wondered if it was Harvey Milk. I thought that this was such a nice representation of the the early stages of LGBTQ activism because it was life and death at that moment. It, mm-hmm. it was past Stonewall enough that we had pride parades, but people were glad to let anybody die. And that showing barbalians trying to figure out how to be gay in a closeted time in a world where he's not even human and being confronted with his job that he loves so much of being a cop he wants to save people and stop right and wrong but also people fighting for being taken care of and acknowledged and he saves the activists when he's falling but then arrests him and it just that that back and forth in that one character i if i haven't read um any of the uh black hammer world since the first volume the meaning to but haven't but this was just like such a a concise way to give you a really good grasp of this character i felt mm-hmm. and all the the little facets in a pretty quick little simple story or a couple events uh, I, I loved this. I thought it was beautiful and it just kind of took me back to all my, my friends and family from back then and all the people that we lost and yeah. And from a, from a Barbalian standpoint, like a lot of times when you have a story that has a conflicted character, it's a, it's a character who could do this or that. And this guy is ostracized because he's gay on Mars. He's, gay on earth he's an alien on earth and he's a good guy macho cop on earth so he's got like all these different things that are pulling him in different directions and you see him kind of 
act in a way that honors each one of those in this issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have a conflict of knowing who his true self is within those things. It's right. figuring out how to have that true self navigate the world around him. Yeah. 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 And he, and he has an innocence, I think, that's really interesting because, I mean, he doesn't seem to have a clue as to why his partner reacted so negatively to his little advance there. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was, I thought that was sweet. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's established in previous issues of Black Hammer that um, he's he's been cast out of society on Mars um, for being gay also. Yeah. And then he comes to Earth and has to figure out how to deal with things here. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's Black Hammer. It's, I haven't read a bad one yet. Even, even the bad ones are pretty good. Django. Jeffrey. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Not to exclude anybody else in this question. Um, but Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer property is a thing that I consider sacred to Django Dumb. I, th I think it's like, uh, it's a pretty close, like, you know, if a thing comes, you know, like if something, if a band releases anything that a tool musician has guested on or something i'll make sure and listen to it uh black hammer is like django i i can't draw a good comparison but you all know what i'm saying you love this thing you love jeff lemire he's like you know i kind of oh think he's your, your working favorite writer um yeah. uh not like working on comics but like you know like a working model um and uh how did it feel to have somebody else script the strict, like you could feel Jeff Lemire's plotting on it. I, even in listening to you guys talk about it, it reminded me of like, an, I can remember two scenes within Black Hammer that told those, you know, those, it, it seems like a return to moments that Barbarians talked about. How do you feel? How do you feel about Gosh, that um, idea? Is more people doing this? Did this guy do it well? To run with the, run with the tool thing, uh, this is no Pussifer for me. Okay. Which I like more than tool. Um, yeah. But it's solid. Like I, if, if they hadn't put Tate, I'm a Jeff Lemire clone buttoned all the way up to my neck, Bromall's name on there. I, I don't know that I would have known that Jeff sure. Lemire didn't do the whole thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's a really good cover of Jeff Lemire. Sorry, Tate. Uh, I wish I could say something nicer, but it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. I mean, for someone who's a huge Jeff Lemire fan and a huge black hammer fan and has read all of the stuff, like that's, that's pretty was, high praise. I thought it was on, on, in in the right realm i'd give it eight and a half i thought it was really good i'd give it a seven and a half i also thought it was really good i give it an eight and a half i thought it was really good hmm, right on oh there's a cute little thing i love the fact that barbalian he's an alien and his cat's name is sigourney yeah oh. yeah yeah you know you know who didn't write that right oh, oh grant Morrison, jeff lemire oh i doubt that that was a thing that he inserted is it not? We do remember like Barbalian like holes up in a room and educates himself watching sci-fi movies kind of like John uh, Jones did. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll allow it. Just He just did a little bit later than John. I'm excited to talk about a dark interlude with everybody. Oh, yeah. Let's oh, do it. Is that where we're going? Is that okay? Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. We need, to, we need something to get us out of this. How about, and, how about some sort of interlude like a, a dark, dark one? Well, I, this is, I don't even know how to start talking about it, but it is from the writer <laughs> of Fearscape. And this is either a sequel series to Fearscape or a one shot that takes place in the world of Fearscape 
None of us have read any Fearscape, right? No, I, I, I read the entire series. No, you haven't. That's Roman's. Ser- have you really? Yeah, I read Fearscape. So this here's let's let's give the very top layer of meta here, Jeff. It's Ryan O'Sullivan writing it, Andrea Moody illustrating it, and Vladimir Popov coloring it. And the first two pages are a criticism of the way that Warren Ellis responded to his <laughs> claims of sexual assault, which are not, not belittling the claims. They're very, very real, but like it's formatted. It's the same intro and the final paragraph oh, or something. Really? Yeah. It's like straight, <laughs> it's straight up a shot at the way that Warren Ellis dealt Holy with that situation. Shit. I have the article up right now that oh, man, compares that just, the two executions, but that changes. There's another level. Yeah. It's like wow. deeply, deeply meta. But okay, well, I but it's I, not about that. Like that, no, th- those two that. pages are not about that. It's an artist or a writer defending his plagiarism of a, a sequel to a novel of a man who he killed along with the man's daughter, maybe. Right? Yeah, kind of. He tried to kill the daughter in the previous okay. series in Fearscape. This writer, Henry Henry, um his mentor was this older author actually his name was arthur <laughs> um proctor that was his mentor he ended up killing him um after plagiarizing him and it was all found out our our narrator here is a a, a very unreliable narrator mm-hmm. um and yeah there's all there's all sorts of meta levels on here i mean even his name henry henry is after humbert humbert from lolita mm. oh and and isn't there a is aren't the lawyers named something like that also? Yeah, the lawyers are um Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Humbert Hermbert and Herman, Herman and Humbert. Humbert. I was even wondering Herman, if yeah. that was like a watchman reference. That's a reference to Herman Hess and Humbert Humbert. <laughs> nice. I thought it was like like just the meta of it, like Herm man, um, and then possibly Humbert, like a reference to Rorschach. Oh, I see. So, yeah, man, I got like four pages into this and I was tired of reading and I couldn't stop. Like just the the layers upon layers of this writer is writing this thing and what like the the whole thing is so self-aware. And when we finally meet him in the jail or the asylum, every every time you would see his face, somebody's speaking a word balloon over it. And he never talks. I don't know. I, I like. I can't even quite wrap my brain around the whole thing enough to diagram it, much less yeah. say it out loud. And I'm interested, just like Roman. So Roman has read the series, and the way that this was, per, like, even advertised and everything was that like you don't need to read the series. It's this one shot, but the solicitations were also all written by the fictional narr- like the fictional Henry Henry unreliable <laughs> narrator. All of that was this whole thing was put out in this really meta way. And to the point, and so like this whole thing is like him being like, well, it's a sequel to another one, but it's not a sequel, but you're reading this for the first time. And that's a really not useful way for us to bring up this situation where you're trying to understand what the fearscape is. Let's throw some exposition. Like it's this incredibly meta thing. Um, I I love the way that, uh, what's the name of the writer again? Uh, Ryan O'Sullivan did that. Um, because even in his interview, I read one interview, even in interviews, he talks about his unreliable narrator, 
but he always ends up saying, but you know, this is so, this is, there's so much med and things going on here. I mean, and I'm an unreliable author. So really <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Maybe um, he is reliable. I think right? it's just a really interesting one shot. If you like meta stuff and anyone should check it out. Yeah. Me not, not uh, knowing what it was just reading that first uh, letter from him. I loved it. Cause this character, Henry Henry is, is an awful person. I mean, I mean, he's, I mean, he's not, a, you know, killer or anything. Well, he is actually. Um, but reading his stuff, because he's so unreliable and he's so ser- self-serving and the things he says in the letter, and I didn't, I didn't even catch the Warren Ellis thing, Jeff. I read things it. He I says about, you know, pointed it out. But. Oh, okay. And, but he thinks he says about like Jill Proctor and, and telling people, oh, don't go down to him, gives her the, ad, the address and the hours and everything, even suggest a way yeah. to <laughs> vandalize her art and acting all uh, disingenuous here. I love this. Um, and Fearscape in the previous series, yeah, he finds out it's very much like a literary comic book series like Sandman. He finds out there's this other realm, the Fearscape, where um, humanity's deepest fears are manifested and they have to find a storyteller every generation, a storyteller, a human storyteller, to uh, go and destroy one of these fears. And it's a cycle that repeats because there's always fears. I um, love that idea. And they do explain that in here. And I got really into that. Just like the idea that I think that like storytellers are the things like storytellers are artists, not strictly based on story, but like art is the thing that kind of allows us to overcome fear or at least learn things about ourselves to work with these problems, to move through it. But then in doing so, like when we engage in the art that sort of helps us overcome that, whether it's music or books or comics, you know, you leave a little bit, like the creator leaves a little bit of themselves behind and that fear, like their inherent fear is what grows to become the next fear that a new generation. I just like love this idea that like that which pushes us forward also is the seeds toward what needs to be overcome. And I love in this how the real writer, Ryan O'Sullivan, how he makes fun of and satirizes, you know, the things like sequels and how empty and awful they are Mm -hmm. and, you know, clumsy expository writing and then he turns around, he deconstructs it, and then he turns around and does it. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of, but it kind of does it a little differently. So he c- constructs something new with it. Very cool. Yeah. This is what Deadpool wishes he was. <laughs> yeah. 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 And of course, if, all uh, the. Sorry. Oh, and, you know, I just love all of the literature references. Boccaccio's in here and Petrarch. Yeah. And there's all it's sorts like, of little, little. Deadpool, if he had taken the limitless drug. <laughs> yeah. There's all, there's all sorts of references in Nabokov in here. I think Roman did take the limitless drug if he got all these references. I give it an 8.5. I give it an 8. Um, yeah, I'm going to gooey it. Thought you might. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was a, what book are we doing next? Is it time for the Indigenous Voices? Marvel's? Yeah. Marvel Voices, Indigenous Voices number one. <laughs> um, who can tell me a little bit about this? Because I kind of, this wasn't really on my radar until it came out this week. What was what was it advertised as, Jeff? It was advertised as it was advertised as a Marvel anthology book that they were putting out to highlight new voices, but particularly you know like minority voices, uh, indigenous mm-hmm. voices. They did the one that Colette read that they released a second printing of this week. Is that one just called Marvel Voices? Uh, I think so. Yeah, Marvel Voices, and it's. I guess they have a podcast and okay. um, have been doing like web essays and some web comics. It's specifically pretty... about uh, 
different minority voices in comics and so yeah marvel and dc both have for much longer than i've been reading comics been doing like new creator spotlights you know assistant editor weeds whatever ways to shine a light on maybe the lower tier writers or artists that are not you know denny o'neill at the time or whatever um they've been doing that recently as well um well this opens with the watcher written and drawn by jeffrey verge and i love his art he's doing doing some of those variant covers and it's just like super indigenous kind of representations of marvel characters and the the it's only two pages the first page is like this awesome watcher um and jeff believe it or not watcher is not a watchman reference it's a totally okay i've just like i know we're finishing up batman incorporated but my eyes are fully on our next one which is watchman (laughs) so i'm just sort of assuming everything is a watchman reference right now who watches the watcher the unseen and jeffrey verge i will say when did a watch come back to life not long are are we just pretending that just just within the last couple of weeks yeah recently yeah okay i didn't i didn't read that and i that always gets i don't remember what it was though he came he came out of nick fury or he came out of the unseen's eye and took over again yeah 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 i forget what book it was too i i read it so it's not one of those things where just like the editor in charge of the no. comic forgot <laughs> no, that the character is supposed to be happened. dead. No, nope, <laughs> okay. yep. You want to is back. And then and then like the second page is just this really nice breakdown of all of the native um, Marvel characters. And I mean, probably not all of them, but there, there's 18 different characters there and they go through each one and kind of give a short history of them and the, the art and the way that they told it is really interesting. It, in fact, it goes in a full circle starting at the top left and then down to the left and then circles back up to the top right and i thought that was going to be super irritating but it worked pretty well yeah you really could have read them in any order and it would have worked and it was yeah. nice and I, yeah. I really like that they actually like they gave you the tribe that each of these characters was mm-hmm. from and and more than just and this is someone that we decided we <laughs> needed someone to fight someone in Canada. So we made a native character. Like they actually all have respectful backstories listed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's true. I, Cause I didn't, I didn't read it the direction Django just described, you know, I read it the other way, but mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't matter which way you go. I did notice but, there's, yeah. there's no, uh, Mar- at least not yet. Marvel doesn't have any, any um, indigenous people from the Pacific Northwest, but but the artist yeah. is. He's from the Port, Port Gamble yeah. Skylab tribe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the second story was pretty cool. I, I think that it was probably more important than I thought it was good or, or like entertaining. Um, but also the art didn't super appeal to me. So I didn't, I didn't give as much of a tight read as I normally would. Yeah, I there were things about that one that I really liked and things I really didn't like. I, mm-hmm. I got really irritated by the representation of Echo as someone who's deaf. Oh, hey, Carol did some signing really quick, but then, oh, you can read lips, but then she doesn't have to be, fa- people don't have to be facing her for her to know what they're saying. And <laughs> right. there's no, like, like that was, that got under my skin as I was reading it. 
Um, yeah, and, and there like, was a cell phone bit in there that didn't make sense to me too. I, I don't yeah. know what it was. Yeah, I was right in the beginning. She's getting all these texts from different guys that are just being demanding and annoying. And, mm. uh, and she just throws her phone in the trash and says stupid men or something like that. And yeah, it was, I don't know. I was really back and forth on that first story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was too. I, I, I like the second story a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was really good. Yeah, the second story is with uh, Mirage and, and Wolfsbane from yeah. New Mutants. Yeah. Wow, Jane, a lot of leg proportions there. Sorry. A lot of Chris Burnham kind of vibes to me, too. Just flashing some art at me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. Chris Burnham vibe there, kind of. It, it, was, it was true to their characters that I remember from, like, classic New Mutants. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't been keeping up on the, the, the current New Mutants series. And I really like the fact they brought up in here, and I hope we see this come up again in other X comics, they brought up in here that um, Krakoa is making an effort to make new relationships with specific indigenous indigenous nations. Because hmm. that's something that hasn't come up before. It's like, yeah, this is great. Let's, you know, I mean, they can make a relationship with like the Lummi nation and it could have nothing to do with the rest of us. <laughs> Well, and when you read through the list of, of character of indigenous characters in the beginning, a good portion of them are either from Alpha Flight or are mutants or from X-Men. Yeah. And so it, yeah. I really was glad that they made a story that was about connecting, but it wasn't, I don't know, it was a nice story that was about indigenous characters and had connection to tribal land versus local municipalities and everything but it wasn't it just didn't feel at all heavy-handed about the the conflicts or the differences or i don't know it just flowed really well mm -hmm. uh, yeah it was it was natural it didn't yeah they didn't beat you over the head with anything nothing felt fake mm -hmm. the last story was my favorite i think it was um just a couple of people breaking into a camp a long time ago in the Canadian territories. Is that right? I think the so. Northwest territories yeah. and uh, sneaking in and just sabotaging this camp of white people so that they wouldn't make it through the winter. And, and so that it would look like they just weren't made of stern enough stuff to make it through the winter. And then um, you see them use their powers a little bit while they're doing it. And just kind of the twist at the end, the, the, sadness of kind of predestined uh stories and and I, I thought that that was a really nice thing and i really liked the art in that one that was my i i don't know i think that was my favorite art wise but i think the middle story was actually my favorite story wise hmm. though i am glad i am glad that they didn't other than like a couple of panels that are precognitive scenes they didn't they didn't involve wolverine in this story you know, because Silver Fox was his first, well, I don't know what his first, but one of his serious relationships in his life. Yeah. It's actually a story about her, not yeah. her in relation to Wolverine. Yeah. yeah. I would give it a seven and a half, I think. Uh, I don't I don't usually love anthologies, but I thought I thought this was more than half half good. Yeah, I do seven and a half. Um I will also do a seven and a half. Uh, looking forward to the new, the upcoming series they announced in the back. 
about the Sorcerer Supreme and the Ghost Rider of the mid 1800s. <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> oh gosh, we're closing in on it, everybody. I like your explanation. That uh, and more than half good, Django. On a thing that's more than half good. Listen, I think that before we get in here in the X Men corner, we should enter Django's power out. I think we should enter Django's, um, you know, his power shoot. His like Can his. Can we call it his, my super? uh indie power 20 Django's Uber Indie Underground Power Hour? Yes, absolutely <laughs> we'll call it that. Django, what's on the docket for us today? Dude, I'm gonna you know what? Just a, a second. Let me take my sweatshirt off. Okay. Django, I've got a date with your power alley. All right, my power <laughs> alley starts in a neighborhood you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I got a text from Jeff the other day of a picture of a bunch of comics at Walmart. Oh, yep. I was at Walmart, everybody. This is before the new don't go outside and be around people thing. I mean, um, everyone should not go around and be outside of people, but I was more comfortable going to Walmart with a mask on a week and a half ago than I am right now. <laughs> uh, he sent me a picture of a bunch of comics that neither of us had ever seen on a rack at Walmart. And that they had all... an entire cardboard rack devoted to, like a whole, like one of our image stand-up displays, six window racks. Yeah, they all looked pretty bad based on what I could see. I didn't get to flip through them because I wasn't there, but I noticed that one of them was about Bass Reeves, who is the kind of like superheroic cowboy from the beginning of the Watchmen TV show. And he was a real historic character, a real historical dude uh, who was also a character. And so what I asked a character. Jeff to pick this up for me. And it was way ahead. doper because like I sent him this picture of this cardboard stand of six really bad looking books with no creative teams that we recognize except for <laughs> Butch Geis's last name on there. Sent him that and I was like, oh, and he like must have zoomed into the picture because he realized Butch Geis's name like the same time I did. And we were both like, oh, Butch Geis. That's weird. And then I sent him another picture. I was like, all of the price tags are stickers like we have at our store, but they're put directly on the front cover of the comic just like four dollars and 98 cents yeah like a five dollar <laughs> price tag right on the cover no bag and board or anything so that's awesome but it, we had this like little joking back and forth maybe like two of us got a text off each and then i walked like down the aisle and he said can you grab me a bass reeves number one <laughs> and it was like i was like sam this is the most django thing <laughs> that's happened at least all week but maybe longer than that so he's, so the, yeah the just, the shittily drawn cowboy book tell me about that he's just a like a good looking nine foot tall black cowboy with like a mustache and a huge hat like he's he is a hundred percent my favorite kind of cowboy aesthetic and he like i i I don't know a whole lot about him, just that he was a real life badass. And this is a pretty paint by numbers story about this real life badass. It's not Shocking. a great comic. It's not Shocking. a terrible comic. There's some kind of interesting art bits. I could see this artist probably getting a gig at Another Boom or job? IDW. Like, like a Boom num accounting firm or like- no, it's, it's way better than that. <laughs> okay, okay. This is this is better than a lot of art. Like this is more stylistic than a lot of art that I see coming from Boom right now. Oh. Um, like Boom has good artists, but they have a very specific house style. And I would almost put some of these drawings and Jeff don't kill me. Uh, some of these drawings could, you could have told me um, that the guy that did Outer Darkness did them. Off of Chen. Um, Off of Chen. 
I didn't actually flip through. I, I flipped through it very briefly. Uh, didn't I don't even remember what it looked like. I mostly just throw in shade because like it's an exclusive Walmart line of comics that two comics owners didn't even know anything about. I'm like, what? Oh, no, actually, that's the drawing I looked at that said was good to Sam. I yeah. swear to God, I opened that. I was like, actually, this one is kind of good, but on the next page, there's a bad one. No, that one is the Alpha Chan one. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I do it's, remember it now that you're showing it to me. It's, it's competent, competent art and kind of clumsy, clumsy, boring story. Um, I'm not even going to give it a score, but... Uh, I think I hope you should. I don't think I can, man. It's, it, the story gets like a three, and the art probably gets an eight from me. Is um, it a DC the writer book? Is, no, it's a. It's, it's an exclusive it's, line of oh, comics like to a, Walmart comics. Oh, it looked like I had a DC logo on the back cover. Allegiance Arts and Entertainment, based in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, Kevin Grivio was the writer. Eric Weathers is the letterer. David Williams is the artist. Uh, Kelsey Shannon colored it. Like, Jamie, you are seven, making sure these six and a half or a seven. Like, I, you know, I would like to see the artist do more. I, you got I wouldn't an, mind seeing the writer do something that that isn't just like a like a Wikipedia entry. You you don't get an Uber Underground Indie Power Hour for no reason, right? You're not just reading like, oh, here's a you know, here's Secret Six, right? Because I'm a motherfucking taste maker, baby. Yeah, that's my point. That's my point. <laughs> uh, What's next in your sorrows? Queue? Sea of Sorrows. From but anybody IDW. else wants to get in, please, because I think maybe you all read this. Rich Duick wrote it. And the artist and colorist was Alex Cormack. Um, this is set on the high seas in 1927, Arr, 1926. Yeah. Um, but it's like people going down to find a submarine that was supposed to be full of gold and nobody trusts anybody. There's lots of like World <clears throat> War I flashbacks. And by the end, there's a siren mermaid. And I thought it was really pretty fucking good you just described it, working a tuesday with roman uh, <laughs> world what? war one flashbacks it ends with a siren on a beach and it was actually pretty good <laughs> ah jeff the gas get down <laughs> but i think it's just a phone call <laughs> it's, it's the whistling bombs coming for us <laughs> roman okay did you read this i did isn't it the same creative team as that did um that Three guys trekking across the the Russian road of bones. Mount, Holy road of bones. shit! No Isn't Roman, it's so good. Roman cited that same thing, and I was like, I don't know, man. Like Mountainhead, he's like, I don't think so. And then I, I think didn't I, think about it again until this moment, and now I'm just like, oh, it's road of bones. Yeah, that's yeah, that was great because I think I even said to you on Tuesday, you know, I I think you know, Django yeah. really liked it too. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, and you guys both liked an IDW book called Mountainhead that was in the snow, so I thought yeah. it was that. But yeah, no, it never that. ended. I don't think. No. I would I would totally believe that this was the road of bones, guys. Road of bones. Yeah. Um, hey, Colette, did you wrote? Did you read this, or did you wrote a bone? I did not. Well, I've written a bone, but not <laughs> I, that written a bone. Okay, um, okay. I did read this, and okay. I did enjoy it. Um, yeah, I really liked the art. Um, it's got mm -hmm. kind of like a Gabriel Hardman-esque kind of dark, painty, splattery kind of effect, which you know I love. And uh, I, Roman, did you know it was the Rota Boners because of the names or because while reading it, it felt so much like the Rota the Bone? Um, I don't know if I, maybe I saw something somewhere that I don't remember, but just as soon as I saw the cover, I thought, oh, I think it's those guys and yeah, the art. But I don't think it's, I can't tell if it's the same artist or not. Man, I'm so tired of drawing snow. Can we just go to the bottom of the ocean so I can <laughs> use black this time? Yeah. 
Yeah. I like the fact, I forget which character, one of these guys, because they're trying to find this gold, sunken gold, but they come across a submarine. And one of the guys here on the crew mentions the Bremen, which I had to look up. That was an actual um, World War I German submarine that disappeared. And there's theories about what happened, but nobody really knows because it's never been found, not even a part of it. So I like that this story is somewhat based in that mystery. Hmm. I got Rhoda Bones credits. Uh, Rich Doak and Alex Cormack. That's them. Oh, that's yep. guys. Same yep. two. How cool. Good, good work, Roman. Okay, so <laughs> did, did the Germans have submarines before 1926? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I guess I just, I'm not up on my submarine history. Yeah, subs have been around way longer than you think that they should have been. Hmm. Yeah, I think starting in the 1800s. <laughs> okay, so that's, yeah. that was my next thought was, well, Captain Nemo probably wasn't totally based on a fiction. Yeah, I think it was just that they got to go deeper and deeper and deeper as time has gone by. Right. And, and this one ended up going a little bit too deep. A little too deep. <laughs> yeah, in the beginning, they were only like six feet under on a really clear deer. You're like, hey, what's that in the water there? Yeah. Well, that Jeff, wasn't that like the Civil War submarine? They made a, a sub that could go just deep enough that it was under the water in the Mississippi or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was the beginning of the Ken Burns documentary that I watched. Oh, yeah, that was wow. the end of the Sahara movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're all linking it together. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, anyway, the first so. the first sound effect, the first word balloon on here is a barf. So, oh, nice, uh, cool. So, so, 10 out of 10. <laughs> starts with an eight. Did anybody else give it a 10 then? <laughs> <laughs> a little too something, like a little too grotesque or rushed. There, there are a few panels that kind of took me out of it, but for the most part, I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it, I'd give it an eight. Yeah. There's, there, there's a submarine sinking disaster scene that's really cool. We say submarine again. Submarine. I love it. Um, that was how, you, you, how do you say it? <laughs> everything you said, Django, was a really good subway sub, subway sandwich to a girl walks home alone at night. Dark, <laughs> moody, shady, dark, moody, lots of ink, very dark. Lots. Not of a ink. lot of words. If she I had started taken, check. The, sorry, Roman, please. If she had taken a submarine, she would have made it home up just fine. <laughs> um, Roman, I started reading a dark interlude. And uh-huh. Sam started reading A Girl Walks Home at Night. And <laughs> she put this book down when I was halfway through the second page of A Dark Interlude. Because the first page is a two-page text piece. And I stopped. I was like, did you read that whole thing? Because I'm still on the back of the first page. Like, there weren't a lot of words. And listen, dear reader, if you want a book without a lot of words, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and then gets killed after something killed it, but they only found her after she was dead and they found what feeds it. Um, (laughs) This is a comic book tie-in to a movie that came out a while ago that was maybe Iranian. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And it was 2014. Um, (laughs) I don't know about the movie, but the... The same poster. It's the same poster. Wow. Why... Why is it being released now? Why seems to be the mo- mission, but this is the car that Django drives. Take us, Uber Indy Underground Power Hour Manager. <laughs> Buddy, this this had flavors of uh, Faust. Uh, okay. This had flavors of 
all the comics I wasn't allowed to read that came out the year that I was 13. Did you, like, I, I, I was shocked at how much it reminded me of Charles Burns. Mm. Like a velvet glove cast in uh, iron. All of those okay. giant one page shots of heads look so much like. Wait, wait. Is, am that, I mixing up Charles Burns and Charles? Charles, like a velvet glove, cast and iron was Daniel Close. Thank you. Those two guys, I just all black and white art. I can't keep them straight. Sorry, this is the Daniel Close one. I haven't read that, but I I can see I can see where you're coming from. I've yeah, it was black hole. Th- when I was reading it, I thought this feels like someone who has had a comic book described to them making a comic. <laughs> the the paneling was very non-standard. The it's so the like a velvet glove was. I don't want to say amateurish because I think that undersells it. I don't think it was super polished, but I would have. I would believe you if you told me this was their first comic. Uh, I would believe you if you told me that they were a really skilled fifteen-year-old too. Um, but it's better than that somehow. Yeah. I don't know. I. I I was pretty conflicted with this. I thought that the pile of rings that she's taken from her victims was, was really well done. Um, and it's short enough that I would read the second one. Is there going to be a second one? I'd read it. According to the back of it, there is. Okay. Yeah. I, this is The fact that it's Iranian it makes a lot more sense to some of the styling and the faces and her, her head scarf. I was like, is that like a nun styling or is it a... Yeah. Yeah, I weirdly really liked this. I don't know <laughs> why. I I grabbed it while Jared was getting our dinner tonight, and I was like, "Oh, I need a." I ended up reading two books while he was getting our dinner. But <laughs> I just was like, "I don't know why, but I'm really enjoying this." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I want more. I liked it. I don't. I couldn't tell you why, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's compelling. It's compelling, I, and I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I have no idea why. It is a super hot speculator book this week. Like it's selling for huh. 20 bucks a pop or something like that, which make, makes me feel like we're literally back in 1988 selling comics that look like this. Yeah. I Did think you read maybe... it, no. Sorry. No, but I'm, I'm really curious to now, actually. I could read it to you right now while Jeff's up doing whatever he's doing. Well, but, I w- but I want to see the art. Too. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Here, I'll hold the, the book up. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Read me a story, friends. Well, I'm Jeff. Really, I'm sorry. I went out and tried to find my copy of Like a Velvet Glove and I couldn't. Hmm. Well, I'm glad that you uh, changed your shirt. Didn't. Hmm. Yeah, he's it's, been wearing that weird cat shirt. I have not been paying attention tonight, I guess. He had a sweatshirt over it. I did. We're making this hard for you to edit tonight, bud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this book, I give it a six and a half. Like I didn't, I didn't like it enough to. I'm gonna read the next one. If Jeff orders at least one copy, I'll read the next one. If y'all don't subscribe, I don't order. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a. I'll give it a four. It was almost like too. It was too quick of anything to really be anything. Here there wasn't a lot of gooey duck. Oh, I don't, I don't know. How duck. To, I don't know how to score it. Cause I weirdly liked it, but like, it doesn't deserve 
the amount that I liked it. There is no shame in really liking something. I'm not ashamed. I just don't know how to store it because my rational brain cannot (laughs) compute how I enjoyed it. Maybe Colette can give us a score and then Coco can give us a score. (laughs) It's somewhere between a four and a seven. I don't know. (laughs) That's pretty good. Pretty good. Sorry, I tried to send a link of this particular image and it didn't work. Well, you two have made me want to read it, so I'll have to read it before we sell them all. Check that link. Uh, we've got three at home that are going to be going back to the shop that you'll definitely be able to read. I, I, it, Jango, what you said is just sort of like it's someone who was described comic books. That seems true to an extent, but like also, I know what you mean by it's conflicted because I think these pages are just like very clearly whatever one. Klaus. Klaus, thanks. I swear to God. They learned that it's like Warren, you know, like those first three years that you know Warren Ellis and, and Garth Ennis' Garth names, Ennis. but you can't <laughs> keep track of either one. That's what, yeah, Daniel Klaus and Charles Burns have been for me. They both write blood good. And black and white stuff, but um, anyways. Okay, okay, listen. Jane, did we finish up your power hour? Did we spend enough time in your deep, dark alley? Dude, my hour is powered. Okay, well, we, we <laughs> have gone so far, so long, too much, but let's, before we get to the X-Men book, talk about death metal number five scott snyder uh greg capullo this is another it's so many things are hard to talk about this week Was, it's is lobo in it yeah. yeah oh dang i need to read it <laughs> yeah there's lobo now pretty good review um <laughs> colette did you read this i did not okay okay Django, it's just you and i again the end of the world right, Jeff, like I gotta go. I okay <laughs> it it still doesn't really make sense Um, in any way that you could describe to somebody from the beginning of this five issue, you know, these six, five issues, I don't know how long it's six or seven issues long. I don't, I don't think you'll be able to describe how we got from one spot to another very realistically. It's got a, it's got at least one, one shot between every issue, maybe two Mm -hmm. that are integral to the plot. I don't know how Mm -hmm. they're going to collect this. They're going to need to put those one shots in the chronological order. I think that like, if people want to complain about 10 of swords for being like 22 chapters, but like, at least they told you at the beginning, 15 is going to be Excalibur 15, (laughs) right? Like this was like, it was only seven issues when you signed up for it, but it's, it's 18 now. And you don't even know what order to read them in because we never gave you a reading order. Like we call this DC's hail Mary. It's a, it's a total hail, hail Mary. I, but what they're doing is, you know, I don't know if it was the intent originally, but you can tell that Scott Snyder and the crew are trying to make a back door to do that thing, which mm-hmm. is kind of erase ironclad continuity. So kind of make everything the omniverse they're calling it. And, you know, I, I don't think it's a great way to do it, but they're, they are writing a way of justifying going from a sort of backbone continuity based comic universe to one where all stories can be told and it's by you know emphasizing the multiverse and all of there's the at this point we have a bad multiverse we have a bad 52 we have 52 bad planets flying at our earth and our good guys with probably our 52 good earths are going to battle and there's going to be 104 earths or something and they only got two issues to do it is this going to be eight seven seven i don't can't count number five i don't understand why well, I mean, I know why, because they needed some big thing to hawk a bunch of books. But, yep. I mean, I thought that was the whole point of New 52 and what Morrison did with Multiversity was to have all these different Earths so you could have any kind of story you wanted. It was all in the multiverse. 
There you go. Well, yeah. Sales have dipped, Roman. Sales have dipped, and they think that it's not because they got rid of their important guy who's kind of orchestrating everything. And they think that it's not because they shook up the whole direct market by getting rid of things. And they think that it's not because of the pandemic. So <laughs> they've got to do something. So maybe just wipe the slate clean and make it so that we can tell any story we want. We're not limited to only 52 different Elseworlds worlds. I think what they should do is not worry so much about how, I mean, I would love DC more if instead of having 35 series or whatever, if they just had like 15 really good ones I or just like, I mean, I, I don't know what their business printing thing moving forward is going to be, but I do think that they've spent a lot of money trying to make sure there's a wide breadth of comic series coming out. And my big pl- complaint lately is just that there's not been a lot that's been really scratching my itch. That being said, this is not a bad comic. No, it's well, just no, a weird, it's, not. it's a weird thing that they're doing with DC universe. This thing that is like precious to all of us. Yeah. And, and they're forcing us to go along with it. And it's not bad, but I don't like being dressed up and told to go to church every Sunday when it's not of my own decision, mom. Okay? That is a really, yeah, this, this does feel like they're making us go to church. I like that. And they're picking like our that. outfit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this issue particularly feels like now Scott Snyder knows what he's supposed to do to end it. Like it hasn't felt like that yet. And I think Scott this Snyder, one, he's like, oh, by the way, we're, here comes the Omniverse. I think the Scott Snyder that wrote issue one and the Scott Snyder that wrote issue five are two different people. I think, I think the Scott Snyder that wrote issue one and the Scott Snyder that wrote issue five are, are two very differently informed people. That's what I mean. Like this, this is a person who has a different projection for his next three years than the guy who wrote number one. So it's, it's, it's not bad. It's, you know, we keep saying the same thing, fuck what they're doing, but I don't hate it. Um, There's stuff that I liked in here. If you've been reading it, you'll like it. It is fun, but it's crazy that it is the decision. It's the decision for like how this is the only freeway to get from one big city to the next city and we have to drive it and there's a fuckload of potholes on it. I give it a seven. I, what do you give it, Roman? I didn't read it. Just based on my description. Oh, based on your scripting? Uh, I, I'll, give, I'll give it a six and a half, seven. Yeah, six and a half, six and a half, seven for me. Yeah. 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 Love yeah, it. Good. Thanks, Roman. I mean, good I job, bet, I bet, guys. I bet if it, if, if it was, had some good Lobo one-liners, that gets it a seven. Yeah, yeah. It didn't uh, I don't think it had great Lobo one-liners, but it did have a really nice scene where, um, what is it? Uh, Lex Luthor puts, oh, an Earth. He puts the bad guys in a snow globe, right? That was um, cool. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he puts. Uh, gosh, what is it? He transfers the soul of the Batman castle into a Gotham snow globe and tells Harley Quinn that she can hold on to it forever. And instead she steps on it. I thought that was cute. Pretty similar thing that happens in one of the issues of Tinosaurus that comes out this week. Segway. Tell me about that. Oh yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about the, the anthology of sports. Why are we ending it on these? Because the anthology of sports. Sports. (laughs) Anthology of sports. Like a sports manga. All right. Cable number six. Hellions number six, X Force number fourteen. Colette, did you read any of these? I did not. Roman, did you read any of these? Uh, what are they again? Uh, Cable six <laughs> uh, was nineteen. Hellions six was eighteen, and X Force fourteen was seventeen. No. 
Well, um, 25 okay. and 624. Let me clear the room then. Okay. Um, we're in the final. Next week is the final week of Ten of Swords. We're going to be done with what? the whole ding dang thing. This is 17, 18, and 19. Next week is 20, 21, and 22. Oh my God. I'm going to miss it. X Force <laughs> was written by Gary Duggan, who also wrote um, the cable issue. This one has Joshua Kassara on art, who did one of the short stories in a, one of the mini fucking anthology books that came out either last week or the week before. Uh, Wolverine, Red, White, and Blood, the second story. Mm. His art with Guru FX on colors is phenomenal. Like, I, I love it. It has gotten better through the 14 issues that they've done. Like, they don't even need Dean White at this point. It's some of my favorite art in all Marvel comics. I love it. It's because it's really- you're not reading widowmaker just like really pretty pages um the coloring and i think that like a lot of it is just the coloring i love the coloring um so anyway i wanted to say that there's that's a really high point x-force 14 Django. we're still continuing these like nonsense battles they're nonsense battles um races races through a market whoever gets to the end gets a point for their place um (laughs) Except for the person who won that was one of the baddies, but they knocked over a vase that was priceless. And so she got shrunken down and put in a glass thing just like that. Um, so she won. They got the point, but they kind of lost, you could say. You know, more crazy things. At one point, there's a riddle that magic answers correctly, but she spells the word magic as the answer with a K instead of a C. So she loses. Cute. There's a, one, of, one of the cool <laughs> competitions is that Wolverine has to stare into a mirror with this other crazy dude and look at all of their victims and relive all of their murders and the first one to blink loses and there's just just this fucking never-ending story it's a dope-ass shot of both of them staring and wolverine having a tear go down his eye and nobody (laughs) gets a point that is rad okay but 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 did he blink no they both neither of them got a point because they both relived it but wolverine cried then some crazy stuff i feel silly for thinking this is all going to be sword fights I know. I know, bud. I'm I know. so naive. We spent 14 issues gathering swords, so it makes sense that you would have assumed. There's this been under, undercurrent story about like Storm having some sort of a re- relationship with Death, who's one of Apocalypse Children's, and that's been really, really cool. And there's this, they have this awesomely written, well, you've read the issue where they danced. This is just like, they, they have a fight now, and there's just some really gorgeous art in this. Josh Kassara is really doing awesome, awesome stuff. That one, so that one's just another fight issue. Hellion 6, though. Roman, it's the Sinister issue. It's Sinister. This is the Sinister crew. And Django, this is so good. So Sinister was like, listen, we got to sneak a crew of mutants back alley into Araco, the bad guy crew area, and we're just going to steal all of their swords. And oh, because they need them. Yeah, well, they thought they did at the beginning of this thing. They thought they were going to need the swords. Uh, it turns out they don't now, but they get in there, and they're like, like Havoc had to lose an eye because the, there was riddles at a bridge or something and Sinister wasn't going to make the sacrifice. But they get in there and they're like, dude. And he's like, yeah, we're looking for these swords. They're like, dude, that tournament started like days ago. Like it's well underway. And then the Sinister guy is like, oh, that's a bummer. And he's like, who am I talking to? And he's like, I'm just this other guy that also came to conquer this land while everyone's distracted. And I've got a bunch of like genetically modified mutants. And Sinister's like, oh, and it becomes apparent that Sinister knew this was going to happen all along, but he's just sneaking into Araco to gather all of the genetic code for all of the mutants that they have, because from Powers and House, he's been like gathering genetic code in the bottom of the, the secret area there. And 
So then he starts trying to extract the DNA of all of these people that they just ran into. And he does that and they kill a bunch of them. Some of like that sinister dies. But if you remember, there was the argument, he's actually the cloned sinister because they had the argument about the cape and the previous thing. Anyway, they're on their way back through the gate. And, uh, and as they come through the gate, sinister is there and he kills all of them so that that way he'll have, they'll have gotten the genetic codes back for him, but he will have killed them and they will have made it back through the gate. So they'll be able to be restarted because it didn't happen in other world, but it'll have to reboot them from their previous backup, which will have been before he betrayed and killed all of them. Oh, nice. So now they'll all come back and he'll tell them a fiction about what happened. And then the issue ends with him being like, Oh my God, sweet mercy. All of my hellions are dead. And he is so awesome and you will love him. And that issue was great because it had nothing to do with that dumb tournament. It was just this like manipulative shitty crew being manipulated by sinister and, and that, and then cable. And this is drawn by Phil Noto and the art is just gorgeous. You can't be mad about Phil Noto art. Mm-hmm. Um, and cable loses a fight, has a great, you know, he's like, I'm all whiny and I suck. And, and they're Saturnine's talking. He's he goes and has a telepathic conversation with his mom and his dad. And Saturnine's like, you can't do that anymore. They're probably having it in the the sacred lands of Roma Regina, um, and that gets shut down. But then they have the 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 dumbest thing, which is Gorgon. The cards now reveal that Gorgon has to fight that big knight who had to stare in the mirror with Wolverine when Wolverine was crying and they were holding one another. They weren't holding one another. I support holding one another. It's um, not a very Wolverine thing. So Gorgon starts fighting this guy, and the guy's like oh, you can fight me after you fight my 100 fiends or whatever. So he goes, number one, and number one comes in and Gordon kills him. He's like, two and three, and then Gordon kills two and three. And he kills like 13 of them or something that way. And then for whatever asinine fucking reason, they're like, all of those kills count as points. And now both teams are tied at like 19-19. Like the X-Men had six and Araco had 19 or 18. <laughs> and then Gorgon killed a bunch of random soldiers and they decided that's going to count to our win total. So now it's tied at 19, 19. Good thing all of this is fucking internally consistent and making sense. And now it's tied and we've got the final duel, which is Apocalypse fighting his wife. And that's so this has all been just like a thread tied in a like looped in a knot and we're back at the starting point and like you could have just said hey apocalypse needs to fight his wife because Django and then not even that not even that like aside from that as I was reading like one of the issues it was just like this is everything that Django hated the most about the Hickman X-Men stuff all shoved into I was like he would it's it's the it's like all of the stuff he hated. I I'm just identified so, that X pages into the first issue. I'm just very glad that you uh, aren't reading it. You made the right choice. I am enjoying it. Um, oh, now. And these, I mean, like, I mean, I gave the last set of issues a 7.5. I got texts from several people who were like, man, you were really exasperated by that. I was like, I was. I did also give it a 7.5, which I stand by. Like, it's frustrating, but it also, like, it, it's fun. It's just not like what I expected or wanted out of the first Hickman X-Men event. Okay. Can I, can I give you a theory that I thought of while you were talking? Yes, absolutely. What were you, were you thinking about milkshakes? No. No. I wonder if Go on. all of the change-ups where go get your swords, just kidding. You don't need swords. 
here's a thing. Oh, just kidding. That's not how we're going to score it. I wonder if that's not a Hickman conceit because that feels like Hickman's sort of sense of humor to me. And it feels like maybe a Hickman commentary on the kind of bullshit that Marvel puts him through in order to write for them. I like that take. It did occur to me while reading and I was like, is this Hickman sarcastic humor? Like I thought that like, Mm -hmm. is this all just kind of like that? I'm always going to be, cause he's always even his whole online persona is like, I'm always just kind of fucking with you. Yeah. Um, Yeah, So I wouldn't playful, but but still fucking with you. Admit it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It does kind of remind me too of just how the X-Men are, can never get ahead because they are meant to be the allegory for oppressed groups. Mm -hmm. So every time something's going well, it always has to go wrong or the rug always has to be pulled up or the game is always switched on them because they're just never allowed to not be the underdog. Mm -hmm. And though this house and powers was letting them actually not be the underdog for once, but yeah, no, you're still, yeah, No, I think that's a good point because there is that really frustrating just like it reminds me of our America's political system of just like I can't you keep telling me to enter a game and play by the rules but you're not playing by the rules (laughs) and and that's what this feels like but I think you identifying it as like an inherent X-Men trait is a really is on on the nose well played I give it all I mean this set of issues I'll give it an eight I go up to the eight from 7.5 to an eight. The art in X-Force, Joshua Kassara and Guru FX, I would encourage everyone to just try and look at X-Force 14. Like it, those two have been working together for a while. Dean White was doing the coloring and it seems like he was kind of the training wheels for this Guru FX kind of group that does coloring. And he's just kind of been totally off the book for the last handful of issues. And they're just killing it on coloring. And it, I can't quite put my finger on like what it is about it that is so great but I, I love it. Got some emails here. Um, just real quickly, I got two from Andrew Carlson. All I oh, want to know thoughts? right now is Roman's thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy number eight. He teased me when we recorded 200 that he loved it, but I haven't actually heard anything since. We received this five days ago. Roman, I know you've read a lot of comics since then, so I thought I would Google the summary of the issue just to give you a little reminder, okay? Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> At the diplomatic conference to decide the future of space, there's been a murder most foul, and one of the delegates is responsible. It's up to Ranger Rocket to save Marvel Boy from execution, solve the mystery, and find the real killer, while a ticking bomb counts down to zero. Yeah, that, that was a really good issue. That was a fun issue, because it's, it's, a, it's a locked room mystery murder mystery uh and it was just really fun how rocket solved it because you don't think of rocket as being a you know using his brain that way they've been doing new stuff with rocket since he's came back from the brink of death and everything and he's branching out into being more than just the weapons guy okay all right i love it thank you i just remembered i had a specific question i wanted to ask colette but i forget it um this next one is from andrew i've got a question that's been brewing thoughts i don't know if you know about friend of the show Fox bought a hat from my mom today. <laughs> I know. I would take a bullet for Fox. He's um, a lovely I've, person. I've got a question that's been brewing in my head the last few weeks. Who exactly is the market for X of Swords for? About half these issues have parental advisory on it. They're the series that typically are the mature ones, but wouldn't they want to change that for the event? Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe this isn't even podcast worthy. Anyway, take care, you guys. Continue to do fantastic fucking work during COVID. Um, 
comics aren't for kids anymore. Like, yeah, the mature rating, I think at this point, I, th- I bet to some extent they toss that on books and think they'll get more readers with it on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like there's enough kids being like, I don't want the kid ones. Give me the adult ones. Yeah. A lot of the mature, a lot of the ratings on Marvel and DC books feel like just in case, like we don't want one mommy group to get mad at us because somebody was wearing shorts. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put this at a teen plus kind of thing. I don't feel like most major superhero books are geared towards kids at this point. I I think that there's definite kids books that are made for kids. And if we're going to part the kimono and talk about this event real quickly, I I mean, like none, we're not getting to be in the store as much, but all four of us pack a lot of orders and see a lot of orders for that come in and people's subscriptions in general, we have about 75 ish, 70 to 75 ish X-Men subscribers. And then all of the other, side series marauders x-force there's somewhere between like the low end probably like 20 to the high end of 40 Mm -hmm. so even at best we're almost half of the name like the main x-men numbers and we've been ordering basically 40 of all of these tie-in issues and that's been enough we haven't really been selling out which says while there are 70 ish x-men subscribers there's no more than like 40 people who want to read the, the side oh. tie-in books. And a, probably a lot of those initial side tie-in subscribers are X-Men subscribers. Like I bet most of those. So there's like 30-ish folks at our store that don't really care to read the tie-ins to this X-Men event. All that to say, I think that the execution of this event is not something that in our store really worked. I think that that's probably a result of like COVID and not being open to the public and turning people onto it. But there's a lot of people who seem willing to not feel obligated to read all of the chapters in this and read outside of the books that they were getting. Yeah, I would say COVID and just kind of the way that we approach events. You know, we don't push, we don't push completionism a whole lot on stuff like that. We offer it, but we don't, we don't make you feel like a dick if you don't get it all. Right. But I would be pretty, I mean, I'm still digging. I think we'd be selling more just based on the fact that Jeff would be talking about it a lot because that's what Jeff does. You know, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird spot to have an event come out. But I mean, do you guys agree? I mean, is it an interest? How do you think this event is going on the whole in terms of reader count? I mean, I've had a couple of people during my one shift a week where I've gotten emails where they're wanting to get subbed to all the stuff that they weren't like they're getting some of the tie-ins and like, Oh wait, I'm actually enjoying this event or I want all of it. I had one person who only getting one or two of the tie-ins and wanted to get subbed to everything and wanted like three of the series, all the stuff leading up to it also like (laughs) that I had to track down there. It has brought on some people just not in the numbers that um, are worth noting. I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, Roman's reading it. Roma Regina gets it. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm reading, I, I'm reading. I think just the issues of the series I were, all, I was already reading before it started, before the Exorcist mm-hmm. started. Make, make sure and get Hellions because you're yeah. gonna like it very much. Yeah, I gotta read down. That, that is the one, the one thing the series has done for me is show me that Mister Sinister is a cool character. He's great. If, if there was an actor I would pick for him, it would be David Tennant being totally flamboyant. To play Mr. Sinister. Interesting. I had my man reader reading it for me. (laughs) Reporting back once a week. 
I plan on reading all of it once I'm actually caught up on all the stuff leading up to it. I've got two issues left. <laughs> oh, it's it. It has been fun to fun to be reading. Would not be fun to be spending all of the money on. I don't know. Mm. I would probably do the thing where I'm picking the chapters that I want to read in that case. So guys, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of good silences here tonight. We've had a lot of moments that bring us together. Voice chicken. Just a little bit of chicky poo. Um, it's what happens when you spend a lot of your time hanging out in front of a computer. Listen, everybody, I do have three stockings and a wreath hanging behind me in my office. Um, oh, one for each of us. One for each Aww. of you, and then the bear in the wreath is me. Um, <laughs> So thank you for being here for that. I you can send us an email at info at thecomicspace.com or Jeff at thecomicspace.com. Andrew has taken to just doing that. Um, I think maybe sending it to info at as well. Uh, that's a great way to make sure that it gets read. Um, so do that. Either one of those. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail. Django, tell us how to leave us a voicemail. Oh, you just call one six one three six six three seven three three six and leave a voicemail. Six one nine. Yeah, six one nine six six three seven three three six and leave a voicemail. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> nice work. I, I I actually was like, yeah, you do that by just calling the store's phone number. And I was going to do that, but I was like, I'll toss it to Django. And like, I forgot we had a dedicated phone line. I don't know when the last time we checked that was. Yeah, no idea if it still works. <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay. Holy shit. Um... <laughs> Wow, that's a fun bit to have remembered right now. But you can you can send us voice. You just record an audio memo on your phone, email it, info at thecommonspace.com or jeff at thecommonspace.com. That is a great thing to do. The three of you, say something great, tag somebody, plug something. Let's all do the ice bucket challenge and really get it popping off. Well, uh, I'm Django, and I feel like it's my job to tell you that earlier this week, I decided that we should take sponsorships and solicit them right here. $100 gets you a one minute segment about your business and a permalink from our website. Wait, you said a one minute ad? Yeah, like we'll, we'll talk I'll about I'll do a for five a minute. minute. I'll do a five minute. You just, okay, all right, 500 bucks. Jeff will do a five Dude, minute. Dude, <laughs> let's start, let's start it good, all right? A hundred bucks, we'll first, talk for first, five first minutes. First one that gets it. Me, I'll give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> Dude, I would love the content. Are you kidding me? Fuck yes. A hundred bucks, five minutes until if that ever becomes financially untenable given our time. Cool. It, it, listen, first five. Five, first five. for a hundred dollars for five minutes. Five minutes spread across an episode. Like nobody wants to hear us talk about like your locally grown yams for five minutes straight, right? Like, like unless it's us talking about bits. it. Three or four bits. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Okay, I love that. Okay, everybody. Um, 100 bucks, five minutes, your business or your personal venture. We'll do it. Oh, permalink on the website. That's that's the real deal. Like, that's Yeah, that's sorry. I committed the podcast thing and, and you're actually probably talking about website space and advertising space on that. And, you know, maybe no, I committed you. No, I'm talking about the podcast. podcast but baby. five minutes, you give me 100 bucks and I will make you five minutes of gold. And on that note, that's your Jeff Figley's promise. Good night and go fuck. That's Colette. That was Django. Yeah, I'm, I'm Roman. All, all I can think about is yams and juggernaut. Five you're minutes. That, you're going to read that juggernauts. <laughs> and a guy who knows five minutes. Wow.